0: Son, Jesus Christ. Now, most of these men have gotten married and are raising families, but they formed a motto uh, called HGA, His Glory Alone. And that motto still hangs as a banner over their lives and affects their present-day choices. This sermon is entitled, Solo de Gloria. Uh, which uh, means, of course, God's glory alone. And what we're doing as we are looking forward to the 500th anniversary of uh, Martin Luther nailing the uh, 95 Theses to the Wittenberg door, uh, marking the beginning of the Protestant Reformation. We've been going through uh, first the the five solos of the Reformation, and then next week we will start with the... Uh, The five doctrines of grace beginning with total depravity. But, uh, this, so this sermon is the last in that series on the five solas. And I hope that this sermon on God's glory alone affects you as deeply as it affected the young men who discovered that His glory alone is the only sufficient center for all of our lives and all of our decisions. That His glory alone rests at the center of history, that rests at the center of our lives, that all that God does is bringing uh, to Himself His glory. The idea of God's glory is better caught than taught. Uh, My hope is that you will not simply learn a few principles about how everything is centered on God's glory, but that it will transform and center you upon God for His glory alone. I remember one time when I caught what it means to be transformed by God's glory alone. I've told this story before. Best I can remember, it might have been in the first month of me being here, so over 11 years ago. uh, I may have told it in some other context, but I figure after 11 years, most people have forgotten it, and it serves the purpose um, of um, illustrating what it means to, to catch or be caught by God's glory alone. Uh, I was on my second missus trip to Uganda back in 1991. That's about 26 years ago. And I got food poisoning um, my second day in the country. I lost 17 pounds in two weeks. And there were no bathrooms back then. They had had a long civil war. And um, there were only outhouses. And uh, it was one of the more traumatic... Experiences I've ever had to experience. Uh, I can't even begin to describe it. Well, my idea was I did not travel halfway around the world to stay in bed uh, when I had come to Uganda to preach the gospel. So I pushed far beyond what was wise. Uh, I kept pushing myself. I think I stayed in bed one day and then got up and, and uh, got busy. And this one particular day, this is about a week and a half into my food poisoning, I was scheduled to preach three times that day. And uh, I was excited about the preaching, but the night before I had a particularly hard night, uh, I did not fall asleep until about daybreak. Uh, and when I woke up and uh, I had to get ready to go and preach, I was in a very unpleasant mood. I was angry that I had worked so hard to raise all this money to come to Uganda to preach. And I was so sick that I could barely function. And going without sleep the whole night was the final straw. I can remember laying awake at night in these. Cranes. You know, we have these sandhill cranes that will make a a bit of a racket. Well, these Ugandan cranes were much, much louder, and they went throughout the night. There's no panes of glass in the window, and I was just struggling with my sickness. I was weak. I was um, beginning to think and getting angrier and angrier. And finally, as I'm beginning to fall asleep around 5 in the morning, all of a sudden, the Muslim prayer started, and they put them on an amplification system. So across the whole town, you hear these uh, these Muslim chants, and I just kept getting angrier and angrier. And I knew that God was in control of my circumstances, so I was angry at God, and I told Him so. Well, now how am I supposed to go and preach about God's grace when I'm angry with God? I figured I'd better repent uh, after I'd uh, gotten up for the day still too angry to repent um, because I really didn't mean it. So I, I decided, well, I've got to do something. So I picked up the Bible, just opened up randomly. I thought maybe I'm just, just reading a little scripture will help. And uh, so I, I picked up the Bible and my attitude began to change because when I opened up the Bible it fell open to 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and as I started reading I came to verses 3 and 4 blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our affliction and I thought God I don't feel very comforted where are you and um, I kept reading. I came to verse 8 in Second Corinthians 1. It says, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. And so Paul is writing to the, these um, Corinthian believers saying, My suffering was so bad when I was in Asia that I despaired of life. I thought I was going to die. Paul was suffering so much that he thought there was no hope for him to go on living. God was about to kill him. And it occurred to me that my suffering was not as bad as Paul's suffering. And so that began to soften me a bit. But then I was completely broken when I read the next verse. Because verse 9 says, Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. If Paul had to suffer to keep uh, him from being proud, from him pridefully relying on himself, then how much more should I be suffering? If God had to, to take so much suffering and pile it on Paul so that he would not rely on himself but on God, well, I didn't have that kind of trust. I was relying on myself, and I began to ask God, God, maybe you need to give me even more suffering so that I won't rely on myself but rely on you. And I began to thank God for the hardships. I began to thank God uh, for the the sickness. I don't know if I ever got around to thanking Him for the outhouses. <laughs> but I was thankful that He humbled me and prepared me to preach in His strength and His power. And that was one of the most blessed days in my entire life. We don't have time for me to go through and recount what God did. And not only the three sermons that I preached, but then the fourth sermon that uh, he gave me the opportunity to preach, and then the family that I got to visit with afterwards. It was a blessed day when I didn't think I would be able to get through it, when I thought that I wouldn't even begin to start it. I came to learn that morning when I read this passage that my life and my circumstances belong to God that my life and my circumstances don't belong only to me. I learned that morning that He is the master of my life, not me. He is the master of my circumstances, not me. And I hope this morning that as we look at solo deo gloria, God's glory alone, that this principle will be able to be fleshed out in your life as well, that you will be able to catch what it means to experience God's glory. When we speak of God's uh, glory alone, we mean, as it says here in our verse, verse 36, that everything is through God, or rather is from God, through God, and is for God. In other words, that is for His glory alone. Let me read verse 36. From Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be glory forever. Amen. Why did God create the world? H-T-A. For His glory alone. Why did did God... um, create humanity even though he knew that humanity would fall and rebel against him? HGA. His glory alone. Why would God decide to save sinners? His glory alone. Why is salvation by grace through faith and in Christ alone? Again, it's because of His Glory alone. What does the Bible mean when it says that God is glorious? Well, in order to understand God's glory, we need to look at it in two different parts. We first must uh, look at it as it resides in Himself. And then we must look at it as He reveals it outside of Himself in His creation and in His Son, Jesus Christ. God's glory is one of God's attributes. In fact, His glory is the perfection of all of His attributes. God is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in His being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. So His being is glorious. Not only His being, but also His wisdom is glorious. His power is glorious. His justice is glorious. Everything about God is glorious. In everything, God is perfection, raised to its highest or to its in, to an infinite degree. Therefore, God is worthy to be worshipped, worthy to be praised, worthy to be admired, worthy to be trusted, worthy to be loved. He is so glorious that we would not even be able to understand and grasp His glory if He did not bend down and reveal His glory to us. And He has, thankfully, revealed His glory to us. He's revealed His glory to us in His creation. The universe and the earth is God's beautiful theater where He reveals His glory. This morning I was uh, out walking from the office over to the uh, sanctuary with Martin Murphy. We were coming over to, after we had prayed, we were coming over to unlock. And uh, I looked up and the sky was basically cloudless. But there was a, a cloud, a really high cloud here, a really high cloud there. And just the immensity of the earth began to overcome me. Our God is glorious. We see it in His creation. As Psalm chapter 19 verse 1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. And not only um, the creation that's out there, a part or a revelation of God's glory, but we ourselves are part of God's handiwork. In fact, God's glory shines brighter in us in a more special way than it does in any other part of His creation. Because we are created in the image of God. We have a special dignity that the rest of creation does not rise to. The weakest among us are more special and more dignified than any of the seven wonders of the world. In fact, you combined all the seven wonders of the world together, and they are no more special, no more dignified than the least of us, because we are created in the image of God. Even in our sin and misery, we have a glory about us that makes each one of us special. This glory is a reflection of God's glory in us. Now, because of the fall, what we've done is we've turned our God-given glory on its head. We treat other human beings poorly, even though they are made in God's image. We speak harshly to others, even to those we love, in order that we might manipulate them into giving in to our wishes. We lie to others to mislead them. We put others down so that we can feel better about ourselves, so that we can raise ourselves up in our self-esteem. We've even made a law in our country that says that we can terminate a human being in the womb as a form of birth control. See how completely we've taken the image of God, turned it upside down, In our fall, we fell far. I don't think I'll say that uh, too many times too quickly. The great tragedy of the fall is that we have exchanged the glory of of God for our own pursuit of self-glorification. This is why we need to affirm the principle of solo deo gloria. We are apt to make everything about us. Other people are here to serve our happiness and fulfillment. God is here to save us and give us what we want. The church is here to make us feel good and give us a purpose in our life. The Bible is useful to tell us uh, how to get to heaven. Life in general and our own lives in particular, however, are about God and God alone. He is the supreme end of all things. We don't deserve salvation, but it pleased God to save us. If God didn't choose to save, we would not be saved. I think I made this point last week. Our salvation is not just for us to get to heaven. Our salvation is is for the manifestation of God's glory. Listen to these verses just from one chapter of the Bible. Ephesians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul writes, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For He chose us in Him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. In love He predestined us for adoption to sonship through, his, through Jesus Christ in accordance with His pleasure and will to the praise of His glorious grace, which He has freely given us in the one He loves. See that? He did this not because we wanted it done, but rather in accordance with His pleasure and will to the praise of His glorious grace. Or continuing on in Ephesians chapter 1, (coughs) In Him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of Him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of His will in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of His glory. And then continuing on in that same chapter, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in Him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of His glory. Did you note how many times in this, in this one chapter that the Bible says that your salvation is for God's glory alone. And that's just one chapter. It's an amazing mystery why God would choose to save us. But He does save us. In fact, He brings, um, or rather He magnifies His glory through our salvation. He takes self-centered, self-exalting people and He sends His Son to die for their sins. He sends His Son to that awful cross to pay for our sins. It brings Him glory when our lives are changed from spiritually dead to be spiritually alive, spiritually regenerated children of God. And all this is the work of God. As I said last week, we contribute nothing to our salvation except our sins. Christ exchanged His life and His righteousness for our spiritual death and for our sins. He was our substitute. That's why He went to the cross take our sins to take the penalty of our sins to take our spiritual death a spiritual death and by his death on the cross we have life because he has given us his life which is eternal he has given us his righteousness which is perfect he has given us his sonship so that we are now adopted as God's dearly owned children. And do you know what happens to us when we receive His righteousness, when we receive His life, when we become children of God? What happens to us is we begin to shine. Listen to Philippians 2, verses 14 and 15. Paul says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. So against the the dark backdrop of our crooked and twisted Scripture, in Jesus Christ, you shine like stars. You don't have any inner light in yourself. It's Christ shining through you to manifest His glory through you to a watching world. What does it say in Matthew chapter 5 about uh, our good works? We don't put our good works underneath the bowl, but we do our good works that unbelievers may see our good works and give praise to God, we shine like lights against our crooked and dark culture. And the only light we have is the light of Jesus Christ. But boy, when we have His light, we do shine. God manifests His glory in stages. The first stage that He manifests His glory is in is in this life whereas you were born into this world and you were without God now in Christ you live for God now in Christ you love God now in Christ you say no to worldliness in order that you may obey God you are even willing to suffer for God that He might be glorified And as you become more and more like Jesus Christ, you are bringing glory to God. And that makes you happy. You know, true happiness, true fulfillment, comes in living for God by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. True happiness and fulfillment comes by trusting in Christ and following after Him. 2 Corinthians chapter 3.18 says, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And so as you're being transformed from one degree of glory into another, what's really happening? You're becoming more and more and more like Jesus Christ. You're being clothed with His character. And that makes you shine. And that makes you happy. What is the chief end of man? chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And so that's the first stage of receiving God's glory. Here in this life as we become more like Jesus Christ by the power of the Spirit at work within us. The second stage of of receiving God's God's glory is when we die. Because when we die, we will behold God's glory as it really is. Second Corinthians chapter four, verses sixteen through eighteen <coughs> says, Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed. Day by day. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. But the things that are unseen are eternal. And so when we die, our souls will be freed from all spiritual evils. We'll be freed even from the possibility of sinning if we are in Jesus Christ. We will be fully satisfied with God. Our conscience will be filled with everlasting peace. And our affections of love and joy shall have their full content. But that's not all. There's a third stage to the joy, even beyond death. At the resurrection of our bodies, our bodies will be raised from the grave. And our bodies will be made perfect, incorruptible, and glorious. No more pains. No more weaknesses. No more medicines. An eternity of blessedness and joy. We will live uh, in a new creation that has no sin and we'll enjoy that creation with our glorified bodies and we will get to enjoy it in God's presence forever and ever. Kind of takes the shine off this world a little bit, doesn't it? God's plan of salvation is not simply to get us into heaven. God's plan of salvation is bigger than us. God's plan of salvation is to restore the world to be even better than the Garden of Eden. The Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve had the possibility to sin in the new creation. There will be no possibility that we will sin. Adam and Eve walked in the garden and God would come down in fellowship with him in the new heavens and new earth. We will fellowship in God's presence continually. We'll forever behold His face. We'll forever behold His glory. Now God has already restored us to Himself. And as we live by faith in Him day by day, we bring Him glory as we grow to be more and more like Jesus Christ. And thereby, we also manifest His glory to a watching world. And we foreshadow the, the coming glory by enjoying God as we live for Him. As we join each other in the body of Christ as we live for Him. Isn't that good news? As we talk about God's glory, and as I bring this sermon to a, a close, I just briefly want to touch on the importance of worship. As you look in the scriptures, oftentimes it talks about god 's glory in connection with corporate worship or in personal worship Second, uh, uh, first Corinthians uh, chapter ten says that we are to glorify God, whether we are eating and drinking, so whether you know in in all of our life we're to glorify God, but there's a special place for us to worship God, to bring him glory in the corporate worship and in private worship. Here in, in corporate worship, we put the, aside the things that we normally do and we focus upon God. We want to have a God-centered worship. What do we do here? Well, basically, God calls us to worship. We respond. We hear God's Word. We respond. And just uh, this little... Discourse between God initiating and us responding is how we move through the service, and so we'll respond to God again uh, after hearing His word proclaimed by singing, and then we 'll hear His benediction at the end. basically what we want to do here in our worship because worship is a foretaste of what we hope to be doing for eternity. We read the scriptures and hear from God. We sing the Scriptures and declare back to God uh, His worthiness. We pray the Scriptures that we might take hold of God's promises. And we hear the Scriptures proclaimed that we might be encouraged to obey God in everything. We don't sit down and ask, what would make more people come here to worship? We don't start with the unbelieving world and take their desires to be our starting point for how we configure our worship. Rather, we take the Scriptures because we take God as primary. And we come and we make this worship hour as as God-centered as we can. And we worship Him. We plan our service around God so that we can be reminded that God and His glory alone is important. Uh, one of our elders, a few weeks back, probably a few months back now, said something just kind of offhandedly, and it struck me. He said, "I don't listen to the to the hymns as I'm driving around in my car, or you know, that's typically not what what I do." And I thought, "Well, I don't either, although I do listen to the to the hymns, but to a, a much more contemporary beat than um, than we sing here in church." But it really struck me that what we're doing is we're putting aside the world for an hour or more to look to God to be reminded of what's really important in this world to help us to remember to die for ourselves and to follow the Lord Jesus Christ so that we can shine His glory and bring our glory to our Father. So as we talk about uh, God's glory alone, there's only, let me finish with this, there's only one way that we can get God's glory. And that is through His Son, Jesus Christ, who came from the Father full of grace and truth who came from the Father, full of glory, who prayed in His high priestly prayer that we might share in His glory. If you want any glory here in this life, humble yourself. Remember that your life is not about you. That it's about Him. Come to the Lord Jesus Christ. And give him the glory that he has promised to share with us. Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus. I was thinking this week about the eclipse that we had um, here recently and how the moon came between us and the sun, and for a 30 mile stretch. across our nation, it brought darkness. But it did not in any way diminish the original glory of the, of the, uh, of the sun. The sun remained as powerful and as uh, bright as it ever was. But when we stepped in the way, um, it brought a little darkness. But it did not affect You at all. And Lord, when we sin against You, it's like we're stepping in the way of Your glory and presenting a little darkness. But we don't diminish You. We don't undercut You. We cannot. It's impossible for us to diminish Your glory. In fact, we thank You that You have, by Your grace, given us glory in Your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray you would help us to shine for Him as we live by faith, as we trust in Him alone. We ask in His name. Amen.